Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips. Flashpoint by Andrew Smith. Read by Sheridan Smith. had seven wonders, if you had to limit it to just the seven, the planet Cerberin would be right in there, no question. We landed on a space station in orbit above Cerberin. I say a space station, the doctor called it a viewing platform. He showed me into the main section known as the bubble. It was a big place, like Manchester Arena big, full of people in smart clothes, some with drinks, there was a party vibe. We were inside a great big ball of thick glass. Even the floor was transparent. We had a breathtaking view of Cerberin below us. I could see too that there was a lot more of these platforms out there. And each of them was filled with people, thousands of them, all enjoying the view. And what a view. The planet was beautiful, covered in clouds of different colours that swirled around and glowed. There were lights flashing inside the clouds. Lightning, maybe. It was one great big show of light and colour. The doctor said, Pretty to look at, but not a place you'd want to live or even visit. I asked, why not? He said, It's a storm planet. Electrical storms cover the surface permanently. I said, but it's so colourful, though. I mean, I can see why it draws the tourists. He said, It's not always so colourful. This is the time of the big storm. The planet only gives off this light show about once in a decade when certain gases accumulate in the atmosphere. A young voice then chipped in, saying, Electrical fluorescence. I looked round. There was a boy, maybe 12 years old, lying on the floor nearby, staring down at Cerberin. I smiled. Electrical what? He shrugged. There's a mix of gases in Cerberin's upper atmosphere. Argon, krypton, sodium, things like that. The lightning makes them radiate light, and they each glow with different colours. Mm, you're clever, I said. The doctor harumphed. Yes, well, he's got it broadly right. I crouched down next to the boy and asked, What's your name? Suddenly, a hand grabbed my shoulder, and I looked up at its owner, a large, unfriendly-looking man in a dark suit. He snapped. What are you doing? The boy answered before I could. You leave her alone, Clement. She's nice. Mr Darksuit reluctantly let me go. I looked at the boy and wondered who he was to have a bodyguard. We're still looking at the planet, he said. My name's Elric. What's yours? Lucy. He was a good-looking kid, with curly brown hair and bright blue eyes, smartly dressed, and he had an air of confidence about him. Then something caught my eye. A flash of movement out in space. I saw a fast-moving dot of light, and then another. I stood up and asked the doctor, well, What are they, then? Hmm. He followed my pointing finger. The dots of light got larger, until I could see they were two thin, sleek spaceships. The doctor looked suddenly grim. Dark fighters. Attack ships. Others in the room had noticed the ships. 
people were moving closer to the glass, curious and smiling like they were expecting a show. The smiles dropped as they saw that the ships were coming straight for us, past the other platforms. The doctor pushed his way into the crowd, shouting, Everyone, run! Get away from the glass! And then the ships opened fire. There were screams, total panic. People started to run. There must have been a force field, because at first, the shots didn't get through. Then the glass was hit. The bubble was covered in cracks, and those cracks were spreading. I was knocked about by people running past me. I couldn't see the doctor. I was looking for him when I saw Mr. Darksuit, also desperately looking around. He'd lost the boy. I saw Elric up against the wall about 10 feet away, looking scared. So I ran to him, pushing people aside and said, Elric, Elric, come with me. He took my hand. I told him I knew somewhere he would be safe. We ran for the exit. We had to get out of the bubble and meet the doctor at the TARDIS. The ships attacked again. I didn't look. I tightened my grip on Elric's hand and kept running. I tried to shut out the sounds of explosions all around the platform. Then with a loud crack, a hole appeared in the bubble. Air was sucked out. It was like a gale. I clung onto a pillar, holding Elric tight to me. People and objects were sucked towards the hole, including Mr. Darksuit. I saw his terrified expression as he was lifted off his feet like a giant hand had grabbed him and thrown him out into space. Him and at least 50 others. My lungs started to burn as the air got thinner and thinner. Then another shock. In among the debris that had been swept out from the platform, I saw the TARDIS. The doctor couldn't have got into it in time. I watched helplessly as it fell towards the planet. I looked for the doctor again, but my vision was becoming blurry and my lungs were seriously burning now. There was no air left. Elric was gasping, desperately trying to suck in air that wasn't there. His eyes were bulging, his hands clawing at my arm. I was about to black out. When the pillar next to us opened up, all around the room, other pillars did the same. Large, egg-shaped objects, mostly made of glass, emerged. One appeared next to me and Elric, and a hatch popped open on top of it. Guessing that this was some kind of lifeboat, I lifted Elric up and dropped him inside, then climbed in beside him. It was pretty cramped in there, but there were seats and some controls. I didn't have to do anything, though. The hatch closed automatically, and air vented in. We could breathe. Then the lifeboat, when Elric got his breath back, he told me it was called a life pod, started to move. We could see other pods with people inside them moving through the hole in the bubble into space. We came to the opening and drifted out. After a moment, the engine surged and we tilted downwards. We started heading towards Serberin. I didn't fancy being on that storm world, but given the alternative, we didn't have much choice. The dark ships came in again and started picking off the life pods ahead of us. I had to find a way to stop us flying straight into the path of those ships. We had to zigzag. I started pressing switches, but nothing made any difference. Then a radio crackled into life. It was just static at first. I said, Hello? Hello, is anyone there? Can anyone help? I was gobsmacked and chuffed when I heard the doctor. Lucy? 
Lucy, you're alive! Doctor, we're in a live pod! He said. That's good. It'll take you to the surface. Hang on, who's we? I'm with that boy, Elric. The doctor told me he was still on the platform, that he'd been carried along by the crowd into the main hub. He was looking for a ship to take him to the surface and get the TARDIS back. When he had it, he'd come and find us. I told him we might not make it to the surface, that the other pods were being attacked. Then another voice came on the line. Deep and blokey, he said, You have the boy. The boy has to die. Give him up and you can live. Which pod are you in? I didn't answer. I stared at Elric. This was all because of him? People were being murdered because someone wanted Elric dead? The doctor wasn't having any of it. You don't decide who lives and dies and you will not harm Lucy Miller or that boy. Lucy, keep him safe. I'm coming for you. I told him I couldn't steer the ship, that we were sitting ducks looking out. I saw the dark ships were swooping round to come back. They shot and destroyed a couple of other pods and then they headed our way. We had one chance. We were a minute or so from entering the clouds in the atmosphere. They would hide us. The doctor tried to speak to us, but the radio was playing up, and then it was just static. Up ahead, those storm clouds were approaching fast. The attack ships fired at us from behind and only just missed. And then we were in the clouds, getting knocked around by the atmosphere. The front of the pod glowed red like we were on fire. All of a sudden, Lights started flashing all over the instruments. Elric said it must be the Cerberin electrical storms, interfering with the controls. Clever kid, but I mean, there's a time and a place. Hurtling towards a planet, you don't need to be told that your ship's out of control. After a bit, the red glow cleared. There was thunder and lightning all around us. I thought we would shake to bits. Then the dark ships came spinning, tumbling past us, totally out of control. As soon as I saw them, they were gone, swallowed up by the clouds, and we kept falling just as fast as ever towards the planet. About a minute later, we came out of the clouds and I could see the ground far below, mountains and deserts. Oh, come on, come on! I was pushing all the buttons and switches I could, trying to get us to slow down. And then the alarm stopped, and it felt like someone slammed on the brakes. The engines went into reverse. Graham was still coming at us, though, fast. The landing was a bumpy, loud nightmare. I'd never complain about the doctor's efforts again. But the live pod was built for this, and we made it. When we stopped, the hatch opened, and we climbed out. Talk about out of the frying pan. I'd never seen a storm like this. The rain drenched us as soon as we got out. We were on a flat, rocky plain. I could make out a range of mountains in the distance. We jumped in fright of lightning strikes that hit the ground close by. It wasn't safe to stay here. Our best way was to get to the mountains. Maybe there'd be caves. We'd be safe in a cave. The lightning was creeping closer. Elric was terrified. I told him he'd be safe. He said he hadn't been safe for weeks. I asked him why people were trying to kill him and who they were. He answered the second question only. He said they were criminals, gangsters. 
I was going to have to wait for the full story. There was more lightning, a lot more. We had to get moving before we got fried. The mountains were about a mile away. I hoped we could make it. In the time it took me to guess at the distance, I saw another five or six forks of lightning. A lot of the ground was glassy from impacts and it was going to be like running on mirrors. I took Elric's hand in mine and we ran. Just then there was the most intense burst of lightning yet all around us all at once. The storm was getting worse. It was like we were being shot at but we ran on. There were these strange bare scorched tree trunks all over the place and we ran through them. Lightning struck one of them right in front of us. It exploded. We stopped and looked around. Whichever way we ran, or if we stayed still, I figured it was only a matter of time until we were hit. Damned if you do. At least trying felt better than waiting. I was getting ready to run again when I heard a noise behind us. Heavy, clunking footsteps. I couldn't believe what I saw. It was a man in a strange metal lattice suit, like a metal frame. It even covered his head. And he wore metal gloves. And there were wires all over the suit, connected to a metal box on the front. He stopped about ten feet away and adjusted buttons and switches on top of the box. I took a closer look at him. He was big, with a grey beard. Inside the suit, he was wearing what looked like a pair of overalls. He finished with the controls and lifted his hands in the air. The lightning was drawn towards him. It was hit by one strike after another and he stood there and took it. The frame of the suit rattled and sizzled with each impact. I thought he must be burning up, surely. But he didn't cry out. The wires around the suit were glowing like filaments in a bulb. Lights were coming on all over the box. Then the storm eased off. The man let out a sigh like he'd been holding his breath. Then he shouted, Follow me, quickly! I said I wanted to know who he was. Time for introductions when we get to the truck, he said, and marched off. We followed, I mean, what choice did we have? But I was suspicious of this big bloke in his cage suit. There were a couple more lightning strikes that hit the suit, but he didn't even break his stride. Then we saw his truck ahead of us. He'd called it a truck, but it looked more like an oversized caravan. There was a large driver's cab, and behind that was something like a tanker, only more box-shaped, with a side door. The man went to that door, twisted a heavy handle, and swung it open. He shouted, Get in! Elric and I climbed in. The man followed and closed the door. He hit a switch, and a dull light came on. It didn't so much light the place up as make it a bit less dark. The man went to the back of what he called his accommodation module and started fiddling with controls on that box on his suit again. As he did, he told us his name was Jabel Rake and asked us for ours. We told him. I looked round. It was a tip. An unmade bunk bed, clothes in a pile in one corner, plastic food containers in another. The air was musty, a little too lived in. There was a computer on a table. His keyboard was as dirty as the rest of the place. Suddenly, there was a bright light where Rake was standing. He twisted a dial on the box, 
and sparks of electricity were arcing from his suit into a square of light on a panel on the back wall. He turned the dial again. The electric spark stopped and the wall went dark, leaving us blinking away blue afterimages. Rake removed the metal suit. As he did, he told us we were safe. The truck was resistant to lightning strikes. I told him I knew about Faraday cages. We'd done it in physics. He didn't know the term. But when I described it, he agreed that yes, the vehicle shell earthed the lightning strikes. At that moment, as if to make the point, there was a crack of thunder outside. The truck shook and the ceiling light stuttered as a lightning strike hit. Rake told us his suit was also lightning proof, another Faraday cage. Not only that, it was designed to gather up the power of the lightning. The box on the front was a capacitor. This collected electrical power and could be downloaded to power storage cells when he returned to his truck, like he'd just done. Elric asked, Is this your home? Rake laughed and said no. His home was a shelter, also lightning-proofed, a few miles from here. He used the truck to track what he called the best of the storms and collect the power he needed to survive to operate the equipment in his home. He sat at his computer and tapped the keyboard. The truck started moving, without a driver. Rake told us it was automated and would follow a pre-programmed route to his shelter. It would take about an hour. He cleared the space on the bench and said we should sit. Another crack of thunder, another shuddering lightning hit. That would never not be scary. I remember what the doctor had said about the planet. Pretty to look at, but... I said, you live here, on Cerberin. He said not to be too surprised. There were no indigenous people on Cerberin, but there were some like him who'd come here for the isolation. He'd lived here for nearly 12 years. I had way more questions for him, but he wanted to know what we were doing here. So I told him about the attack on the viewing platform and on our life pod. He thought about it, then looked at Elric and asked why these men were trying to kill him. Like me, Elric hesitated. He looked at me. It's all right, I said. And so he gave Rake his answer. Elric's dad was a judge. He had a reputation for being incorruptible and was cracking down on organised interplanetary criminal gangs in the local star systems. In the past year, he'd had big successes, sending lots of senior members of these gangs to prison for long sentences, even life. But it was a dangerous job. And one of these gangs was fighting back. They'd come after the judge's family. Elric's voice broke slightly and a tear rolled down his cheek. As he told us, his mother had been attacked two months ago. She'd been injured but survived. Soon after, Elric was sent to a safe house on a nearby planet, with security officers protecting him while the killers were hunted down. Elric had been well protected at the safe house, but when he heard about the storm planet, he'd wanted to see it. His dad had given him permission so long as protection detail went with him. Rake nodded at the details. The gangsters, he said, must have had an informant to tell him that Elric would be on the platform. You think so? An informant? Rake shrugged and said it was obvious. Then he went quiet and stared at Elric. Elric returned his stare, bravely, I thought. 
I broke the silence by telling Rake that I had a friend who'd be looking for us, and did Rake have a radio? He said communicators didn't work on Cerberin. He used a message system with other settlers. From how he described it, it sounded a bit like semaphore, using a light tower on top of his shelter. He could let the other settlers know he'd taken in off-worlders in case our friend spoke to them. He added, "'Course, hopefully it's just your friend looking for you, "'and none of these gangsters made it to the surface. "'Those dart ships. "'Did you see them destroyed?' "'Not destroyed, but they were out of control. "'They must have crashed.' "'He thought this over for a little too long, "'before saying, "'Hmm, let's hope so.' "'We continued on, trundling through the storm, "'taking more lightning hits. "'I wanted to learn more about Rake, "'but he wasn't very talkative, <laughs> at least not like me. "'So I tried another angle. "'I asked what made him want to live on a planet like this. "'Rake growled that he'd had enough of people.' The storms were dangerous, but he'd learned to deal with them and even exploit them for power, and they formed a useful barrier to keep people away. He paused and looked at me and Elric. Most of the time, anyway, he said. He didn't speak again until the vehicle had slowed, done some manoeuvring and come to a halt. He said, We've arrived! Then opened the door and waved me to go ahead of him. There was no rain here, but it was windy and sandy and I couldn't see far. I could just make out a building close by, a single-storey metal shack that looked like it had been thrown together rather than built. I saw the light tower on the roof that Rake had mentioned, a metal pole with large lights all up the length of it. Rake raised his voice above the wind and told me to go inside. He turned back to the module where Elric was standing nervously in the doorway. Elric flinched at the thunder, but Rake said, Soon be indoors, son. He reached up and took hold of him. Elric didn't want to be lifted. He twisted in Rake's grip, thrashing out, even ripping one sleeve of the man's overalls. As Rake placed Elric on the ground, Elric was looking at his exposed arm. Rake said, Inside! But Elric didn't move. He was staring at Rake's arm. And then, he ran. Away from us, away from the shelter, into the storm. Elric, come back! What? Why did he do that? Rake was shaking his head, looking angry with himself. He saw this, he said, and he showed me his arm. On his forearm was a tattoo, a red triangle with a skull inside. Rake said, it's a gang tattoo, of the gang who were trying to kill him. Dart ships were always our thing. I backed away from him. And he shook his head. He waved his hands resignedly and said, No, no, that's not my life anymore. I didn't know whether to believe him. I did know I had to find Elric. So I ran too, into the storm. I sprinted in a straight line, following where I'd last seen Elric, and I hoped he'd done the same. I had to get him to safety. I had to get him out of this storm. I'd gone a short distance when there was a lightning strike very close by and I heard a scream. Uh, Elric! I ran towards the sound as fast as I could and I found him 
lying next to one of those scorched tree trunks. He was still on his back, his head to one side, and there was a burn on his chest. He must have been hit by lightning, but I hoped the tree had taken some of the force. I put my ear to his mouth. He wasn't breathing. Oh, Elric, oh no. No, come on. I got my first aid badge in the guides. I mean, okay, that was a while ago, but anyway, I went straight into CPR. I gave him two breaths, then started compressions on his chest. Come on, Elric, please. Please, Elric, come back to me. Then he gasped, arched his back and sucked in a deep breath. <gasps> it worked. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He was alive. I hugged him tight and said I would not leave him. I'd protect him. But Elric wasn't listening. He was looking over my shoulder with a newly scared look on his face. Oh, I felt my stomach plunge. I turned to see what was behind me. Through the dust storm, buried in a sand drift, I could just make out the shape of one of the ships that had attacked us. It looked intact. The sand must have cushioned its landing. There was an open hatch towards the back, so at least one person had got out there. Elric, I whispered, we need to leave, now. I helped him stand up. He was unsteady and in pain, but we had to get away before. Too late, there were two of them coming towards us out the dust storm. One was limping badly and both had guns pointed at us. The limping one sneered and said, well, well, look who it is. And I saw he had the skull and triangle tattoo on his left arm. The other said, Nice to see you, lad. I stood in front of Elric. I said, He's just a boy! The one with the limp shrugged. The boss wants him dead, princess. So he dies. You too, if you don't get out of the way. Of course, standing my ground wouldn't change anything. It just meant they'd shoot me before Elric. Well, I'm not moving! The one with the limp said, Fair enough. I closed my eyes and waited for the shots. And the shots came. I opened my eyes. The two gunmen were lying on the ground, dead. Rake strode in, wearing his lightning suit and carrying a gun of his own. He looked at the bodies and nodded, like maybe he recognised them. He said, There might be more than these two. Get back to my shelter. Elric said, No. His voice breaking with fear. I looked him in the eye and said, He just saved your life. I think you can trust him. Rake said, It's true. I used to be one of this lot, son. That's my old life. It's why I'm on this godforsaken rock to try and forget. He walked up to Elric, who backed away. Rake took a breath and said, I don't blame you, not one bit, but I can help you. I can treat those burns. I've got scars like yours. Please, will you just trust me, son? Elric looked at me, but this had to be his decision. He looked back at Rake, who was now removing his lightning suit. With a handful of clips unfastened, he shrugged it off and dropped it to the ground. He picked it up and said to Elric, Look, the storm's getting worse, kid. Let Lucy put this on and she can take you back to my place. 
please. Elric looked Reg in the eye for a long moment, and then he said, Okay. Rake looked as relieved as I felt. I wasn't so relieved to be putting on that metal suit, but Rake insisted it was safe. He showed me how to fit it. He said he'd make sure there was no one else in the ship, and then he'd join us. He warned me not to touch the box on the front. He discharged it when he got back. The suit, he said, would attract any lightning strikes, so Elric would be safe. I started off back towards the shelter, with Elric following on behind. It took us less than ten minutes to get back to safety. On the way, the suit took a couple of lightning hits. The first one scared the life out of me. There was a jolt like I'd been slapped on the back with a shovel or something. And I could hear the metal sizzle, but no, the suit did its job. So we got to Rake's shelter and went inside. It was a larger version of what we'd seen in his truck. A musty, untidy metal box. I could tell it was a place someone lived alone. Real bachelor pad. But the bachelor had company. Another gunman, waiting in the corner in the dark. He stepped into the middle of the room, gun in hand. Don't even think about running, he said, as he pointed his gun at Elric. Talking hadn't done much good with his mates, but it might at least give me some thinking time. I said, uh, how did you find this place? He said by accident, when he'd been scouting the area. He asked who lived here. No idea, I said. We found it, same as you did. He scoffed at the suit, saying how it wouldn't keep us safe from him. I tried to think of a Lucy Miller comeback, but it felt hopeless. And in that moment, I got an idea. He said, Time to say goodnight, both of you. I've got friends I need to get back to. Elric said, your friends are dead. Oh, not helpful. The smile dropped from the gunman's face. He glowered at Elric and then at me. He pointed his gun at my head and said, Is that true? My silence gave him his reply. He pressed the gun barrel to my forehead and said, Say goodbye, blondie. Just then, Rake came through the door. He stopped, surprised. So surprised that he didn't lift his gun from his side. The gunman shot him square in the chest. He fell and was probably dead before he hit the floor. The gunman turned back towards us, but he'd been distracted just long enough for me to try something. I quickly lifted Elric onto a table. I twisted the dial on the box of the lightning suit like I'd seen Rake do. The electricity that had been stored in it discharged and went straight into the floor. The metal floor. I looked away as the electrical power hit the gunman, so I couldn't shut out his screams. And then it was done. I couldn't wait to get that suit off. Elric knelt by Rake's body and cried. And he told the dead man he was sorry, I gave him a hug and told him he was safe. And Rake would be glad. I treated Elric's burns, which weren't too bad. The tree must have taken most of the lightning hit. And when the storm eased off, I buried the dead. I asked Elric to help me light up the beacon on the roof. 
I didn't know how to send a message using the beacon in the way Rake had said to let other settlers know. But just by lighting it and keeping it lit, we were sending our own message to the Doctor, who had to be out there looking for us. He just had to be. We waited, and we talked. I told Elric about the Doctor and some of the adventures we'd had. <laughs> that sounds exciting. <laughs> exciting. Hmm. I thought of the man I'd killed. That hadn't been exciting. It had been awful. I felt guilt well up inside me. And then I pushed it back down. That man had killed Rake. And if I hadn't done what I'd done, Elric and me would be dead too. I'd killed, but only because I had to. I didn't take any satisfaction from it. I had done the right thing. Above the wind, I heard a familiar sound. The rising and falling groan of time engines. The TARDIS was arriving. I took Elric by the hand and led him to the door. I told him life wasn't as dangerous as his short life might make him think. It was just that sometimes circumstances turned out that way. I'd made my own choices, and they'd made my life more dangerous than it would have been. But I could live with that. Yeah. <laughs>